message is from the portion Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14 Ezekiel 37:1 to 14 The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out of this out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley it was full of bones He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley bones that were dry He asked me son of man can these bones live I said sovereign lord you alone know Then he said to me prophecy prophecy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the lord this is what the sovereign lord says to these bones i will make breath enter you and you will come to life i will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin i will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that i am the lord so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone i looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breath breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied prophesied as they may uh, as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army then he said to me son of man these bones are the people of israel they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone we are cut off therefore prophesy and say to, say to them this is what the sovereign lord says my people i am going to open your graves and bring you up from them i will bring you back to the land of israel then you my people will know that i am the lord when i open your graves and bring you up from them i will put my spirit in you and you will live and i will settle you in your own land then you will know that i the lord have spoken and i have done it declares the lord oh god i am the father you thank you for giving us the same to be your father we thank you for this wonderful day that you have given to us not not need to come and remember what you've done and reflect for what you've done for us oh father but also to come and worship you and uh, to bow down before you oh father we know that uh, we have many shortcomings and we are not worthy uh, to be able to stand in your presence but we thank you for what you've done for us so father we uh, pray that you would bless this reading and we pray that you would speak to us through your messenger oh lord we offer this prayer in the most precious and holy name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen Good morning everyone. Thank you Daniel for reading the scripture for today. Even as we sit together from we all come from various background, various culture, different ethnicity. We all go through different situations. But God's word is relevant for people who heard this word many many centuries ago as is as it is for us today so let's sit prayerfully desiring god to speak to our point of need after a revival meeting three pastors were discussing the results of its outcome uh, with with one another the methodist uh, minister said the revival worked out great for us we added four new families in our church the baptist uh, preacher said that 
we had even better results than that we added six new families to to our church the presbyterian pastor thought for a while and said oh well we did even better than that we got rid of 10 biggest troublemakers in our church <laughs> revival is often a misunderstood word in christendom we would have seen banners saying revival is going to happen at so and so place at a particular venue at so and so time even when it's done with good intentions we will learn from our text today that man is not the deciding faculty when and how the revival should happen or whether revival should happen at all definitely man has a great role to play in that no doubt about it even someone could be instrumental in bringing the revival but true revival can be brought about only by god the opposite of revival is a state of hopelessness a story is told of uh, satan going out of business and he puts all of his tools for auction i'm sure most of us would have been happy if it's a real story you know there was pride hatred jealousy and much far to the display there was a worn out tool but very highly prized when asked what what why is it so much highly prized he gave three reasons why it's so highly prized and gave uh, you know why it's so effective tool he said it does my work better than any other tool nobody realize secondly nobody realizes it's me it's me at work and people give up quickly the best way to destroy a man is to take away his hope the satan's most powerful weapon is hopelessness i'm sure most of us sitting here would have felt hopeless at some point in our life hopeless is such an awful feeling we often then feel dejected demoralized downhearted and often may go into desperation some of us would have found hard to deal with that problem and would have turned bitter with god we will be looking at this core issue which is plaguing our christian life the word hope uh, according to a popular understanding and worldly perception is that something better is going to happen but we will learn from our text today that it is for a christian it is it is stark contrast to this popular understanding and is in fact it is in fact a contrast to this and much powerful than that Only a couple of times when I preached, we we had a brief study uh, from Jeremiah. We learned from Jeremiah forty-two that uh, how how Israelites willfully rejected God's direction caused them a great deal. Secondly, we learned from Isaiah twenty-eight about God's wisdom and uh, disciplining His own people. To have a thematic continuity, we will ha- we will look at the book of Ezekiel on what was people's outlook on the judgment of God was. and how what was god's restorative plan for the hopeless nation before we get into the text for today let's understand some brief historical context about the text i will not get into too much details but most because most of us you would already know about this during the reign of king jehoiakim in 605 bc babylonians under nebuchadnezzar attacks uh, judah for the first time that's when the first deportation happens when daniel and his friends were taken into captive and much of the temple wealth were taken we see rest of the story in the book of daniel at the administrative capital of babylon they were primarily administrating to the aristocrats of babylon after king jehoiakim dies his son jehoiachin uh, revolted against ba- uh, babylon uh, and 
during his three months tenure, and that's when the second deportation happens in 597 BC. During this time, Jehovakim uh, Achin, his, his queen mother, uh, and a large group of people, along with Ezekiel, is taken into captive. In contrast to Daniel, we find in the book of Ezekiel that Ezekiel and, and the group of people take, to, to, taken along with him had put in the land of Tel Abib near, uh, near uh, Kiba River, where they were made to engage in cultivating land. So we have two different settings. First, we see at, uh, Daniel and his friends in the administrative capital and uh, Ezekiel and his group in a different setting altogether. During this time, a puppet king, Zedekiah, was installed. Uh, Zedekiah initiated the, uh, the final rebellion against Babylon, which resulted in the furious uh, retaliation by Babylon. This resulted in the final fall of Judah, burning down a city and the uh, temple itself. So this resulted in the third deportation in 587, 586 BC. So these were the three deportations which were in a which were uh, which led to a crisis time in the history of people of God and a turning point for them as well. Let's now look at the uh, have let's now have a look um, in the brief about uh, person of Ezekiel and the book of Ezekiel. Uh, in short, Ezekiel was a prophet. Uh, Taken, sorry, Ezekiel was a priest taken to uh, uh, Babylon at the age of 25 in the second deportation, as I said. The book of Ezekiel starts by declaring his age as 30. The age 30 is very significant for a priest. During, at, the, at the age of 30, they were inducted into the priestly ministry after a lifetime of study and training, as we read in Numbers chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. But at the age of 30, he is not finding himself in the temple of Jerusalem, but he is far away from Jerusalem in the, in the unclean land where he is made to engage in something else. He's, um, he is commissioned not as a priest, but as a prophet through a vision we see in chapter 2 and 3. He, uh, he, he is given a tough job of giving the message of judgment to the people who, are, who were in exile, who were stubborn and obstinate. His life, was, life as a prophet was, was made even tougher uh, because he was asked to be mute and not openly declare the message of judgment apart from the specific time God has asked him to speak. Ezekiel 3.26 He had to carry out Sinat in front of the people for, the, for people to see and understand the message rather than through direct speaking. Now, in Ezekiel 24, we see a bitter warning God is giving to uh, God is giving to Ezekiel about the death of his wife. Verse 16 of chapter 24 says, "Son of man, behold, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall tears run down." He had to watch his wife die in front of him, and yet he was not allowed to mourn. He got the message in the morning, and his wife dies by evening. This was one of the toughest and most painful sign act he had to go through to show the intense judgment God is having on the nation. The same day as his wife dies, Jerusalem is fallen, it's leveled and burned down. That's a the great coincidence happened. That's not a coincidence, in fact, that's a providence from God himself. Eskel Mutinous was released when a fugitive from... Uh, uh, Jerusalem came and told him that Je uh, Jerusalem has fallen uh, and it's burned down. 
that we see in Ezekiel chapter 33. This is a turning point in the book of Ezekiel because that's when his muteness is released and his message of judgment is turned from message of, message of judgment to the message of hope and restoration. There are four vision reports uh, in the book of Ezekiel. We are focusing on one of them which we read in Ezekiel chapter 37. Coming to the immediate context of the, uh, the, book, the text we read today, the first part of the book from chapter 1 to 33 addresses an important question. Why is God allowing such severe judgment on his people and the nations around them? Throughout the book, Ezekiel is... Ezekiel is proving that God is just in whatever he is doing, the theodicy of God. The second part of the book, chapter 34 to 48, Ezekiel addresses another important question to the remnants in Babylon. How will God fulfill his covenant promises to his people? People who came to Babylon in three deportation had lost all their hope after many years of living in that unclean land among unclean people. Alone, exhausted, discouraged, and impoverished, Judah was as, as good as dead. At this moment, God is giving a glimpse of hope for them through the vision Ezekiel is seeing, what we have read to, uh, to the, in the text today, the vision of valley of dry bones. Coming to the text, verse 1 and 2, we see the realization of the need for the revival. Ezekiel is taken, taken by the spirit to the middle of the valley where he is uh, he's take, he's taken ba- back and forth around the place to see a full-fledged view. He's not just given a glance or a mere superficial uh, inspection of what he's seeing there. He is given, and even, he's given a uh, walking tour on the, on the, of the open graveyard that is filled with dry bones. It's very unusual for Ezekiel to be there at the first place because law forbids uh, priests to be in contact with the dead bodies that would make him unclean, as per Leviticus chapter 21. Earlier in chapter 4 of Ezekiel, we see that uh, God is asking him to uh, eat food that is cooked over human excrement. But he is protesting to God that he will not do things that would make him unclean. But here we don't see any resistance or any apprehension from him doing the things. But there is a definite reason for it. There was a need for him to realize the need for the revival. The utterly hopeless—he uh, has to see the utterly hopeless state of the dry bones. It is the spirit of the Lord who took him there. It is not that he merely walked him voluntarily. Now we see the observation of these dry bones in verse two. Firstly, these bodies were scattered in an open field. Again, according to the law, if a if a corpse is left unburied in an open field, that shows humiliation. Secondly, these bones were very dry. That means these were the corpse of bodies which, not, which, which died not a few days back or not uh, bones which are intact for, for a few months. But these are dry bones bleached by the sun for several months, losing all of its vitality and sap in it. The third interesting thing is of this of this pile bones pile of bones are that they are disjoined and scattered in a random fashion, so the person being there is not able to make any sense out of this utter chaos. So these bones are characteristics of humiliation, rejection, abandonment, and a disorganized state. For Ezekiel, this is a this is a thorough 
realization of something very discouraging and disheartening state of the dry bones. No one would be comfortable staying there for a longer time and wandering there for a long time. It is such a gloomy and depressing atmosphere. But this thorough realization was required for him to realize the need for the revival. We would have gone through similar experience like these dry bones. Our natural response is to run away from such experience and wallow in our self-pity. Sometimes it can grow in accusation or questions against God. Three of the Psalms starts with the questions, why? Psalms 10 starts with, why, have you, why, have, why are you standing far off? Psalms 22, why have, why, why are you, why have you forsaken, for, forsaken us? Forsaken me. And Psalm 74, why, why have you rejected us forever? But each of these, uh, Psalm 74, but each of these Psalms end in a note of trust in God. The Psalm writers did not allow their wise to drag on and grow in accusation against God. Such thorough contemplation and accus- uh, introspection as is required for us, but that should not be a, an accusation against God. Such awareness in our life should bring us to our knees and humble us before God. If God the Holy Spirit reveals us of any of our sin, we should repent of our sin. In Daniel chapter 9, we read about Daniel making a prayer on behalf of his nation. If you carefully look at that prayer, his primary focus is on the repentance of the nation and what they have done. It's, it's not that they are, he's asking about the blessings or promises. That is coming out of true humility and the realization of the need. Jim Simbala once said, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. Humility coming from the realization of one state appreciates the true need for the revival. Now, this brings us to the verse 3 to 6, where we see God's promise for the revival. In verse 3, uh, Lord asks Ezekiel a seemingly absurd question. Can these bones live? God was not asking Ezekiel an opinion. It was neither a query as if God doesn't know. Like we ask our friends, will it rain today? No, that's not the idea at all. God being an omniscient, no, God knows everything, even how Ezekiel is going to ask answer. But this is a significant question in the entire context because God was actually probing Ezekiel's faith. In chapter 11 of uh, Ezekiel, we see uh, Ezekiel asking a question to God when he sees a vision about one of the leaders, uh, Pelatiah, dies uh, there. Ezekiel felt that God is going to completely destroy the nation. And he asked this question to God in verse 13 of uh, chapter 11. Will you completely destroy the remnant of Israel? God does not give an answer there. If you carefully look at that, there was no answer there. But he finds an affirmative answer in this chapter 37, where God is giving a hope of revival for the remnants. There was a common perception that God's people have been utterly destroyed for their sin. In this vision, Ezekiel sees that covenant curses have been executed on them. Corpses have been left unburied. Dry bones doesn't have no life in them. That means normally, end of life. But Ezekiel's response is very quite interesting. 
it sort of looked to us that he is trying to play safe by giving an answer, oh Lord God, you know. But that's not the case. Ezekiel knows very well that these bones can live if God wills. And even he knows from Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 39 that where Lord says, I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. No one can deliver out of my hand. What Ezekiel intends from that response to God is that, God, I know for sure that these dry bones can live, but it will happen only if it's according to your sovereign decree. Ezekiel is responding, is responding to a, a rather dis, dis, disturbing question with an unwavering faith in the Lord. And in verse 4, God's, God tells him to do something even more unreasonable, unreasonable to us. He tells him to prophesy to these dry bones to hear the word of the Lord. Now on verse 5, God gives him the promise for the revival. Verse 5 of text says, I cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And verse 6 says, I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God declares how these dead, devitalized pile of bones are going to be transferred. God gives his promise after the prophet responds his first step in faith. Life often presents us with these kinds of difficult questions. God doesn't put us in darkness, leaving us standard in the midst for us to figure out what to do next. If life has presented us with a situation that is seemingly difficult for us to answer, God will, have, God will definitely have an answer to that. But we are called to take the first step to put our trust in God. In the book, Is God Really in Control? Jerry Bridget says, I'm quoting from his book, I was a prisoner to my own feelings. I mistakenly thought I could not trust God unless I felt like trusting him. Now I am learning that trusting God is first a matter of will and not dependent on feelings. When I choose to trust God, my feelings will follow. Many of us can identify with the sentiments Jerry is sharing here. Many times we often don't feel like trusting God. That's a reality. But we need to understand that trusting and trusting God and putting faith in Him is not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of choice. When we take that first step, the feelings will follow. When we respond in faith, God has a promise for revival. And verse uh, 7 to 10, we see God's process for the revival. Verse 7, it says, I prophesied as I was commanded, and something spectacular happened. These scattered bones come together, connecting to its appropriate bones. Out of total silence of desolation, we hear noise of bones coming together. As he was watching, bones connected to its tendon, flesh appeared on it, skin covered it. Finally, he sees a large number of dead bodies. Ezekiel observes that these bodies were lifeless. At this point, we, we may feel like God's word has failed. That is when God tells him to prophesy to these four winds to enter into these slains so that they may live. Ezekiel did again as he was commanded. And life came into this dead slain and they stood up on their feet. Now we have a very vast army of living people. What a transformation we are seeing here from a dry dead bones 
we see a living army of people with all of energy and vitality in them. We see three cage, three key agents for the uh, revival of these dead bones from this to the living being. First, the power of God's word. Ezekiel was told to speak for the word of the Lord to these dry bones. Power of God's word is the first key agent for the revival of these dry bones. We can read as many self-help books as we want or take as much human help as we want. But nothing can compare to the power of God's word in reinvigorating and refreshing a crushed soil. God's word is powerful. It's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, Hebrews 4.12. It may feel like absurd to speak God's word in a weird situation, but that's what we were asked to do. God's word is the only thing, only thing that worked throughout the history of man that changed the man's life. God's word is like a fire, and like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces. Jeremiah 23, 29. When we speak God's word in faith, as God has asked us to do, God will take care of its outcome. Our, go- our ground for hope is in Christ, his resurrection, and his word of promises to us. God's word is filled with promises of God's promises that is in Christ that can be appropriated for us. One, uh, one student of scripture made an attempt to tally all the promises God made to humanity, and he came up with a whooping number of 7,487 promises. I didn't literally count it, but I'm sure that's enormous. It's not because of lack of promises we, we, felt, uh, we feel hopeless, but because we are not able to appropriate these promises in our life. God's promises are all abiding. If he's a promise maker, he's a promise keeper as well. For all promises of God are yes in him. 2 Corinthians 1.20 Do we still uh, doubt the power of God's word in us? If God created and sustains the universe with his word, can't he revive the word? Can't he revive us from the despairing situation through his word? Definitely he can. All we need is the power of God's word to work in us and allow that to work through us. But the problem here often is that we, we use Bible as a dictionary just to find a solution to a, a quick fix solution to some difficult situation in our life, just like we read dictionary to find difficult words. But that's not the God's word is intended for. That's never, that's, that's never the intention at all. Sam says in Psalms 119 verse 105, we all know that word. Your word is a lamb unto my feet and light unto my path. It's an absolutely vital for our daily walk with God. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let this be true of each of us sitting here. Second agent we see is the work of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is clear in the whole outworking of the vision. Let me quote some verses uh, from this whole vision. Verse 1, it says, Lord Spirit, Lord Spirit brought him and took him around the valley. Verse 5, it says, I will cause breath to enter you. Verse 6, it says, Put breath in you and you shall live. If you look at the original language, uh, you know, the word ruach, though it could mean breath, wind, human spirit, and Holy Spirit, it's, 
actually implying Holy Spirit in the whole context. In verse 10, this word is used six times, which is not apparent in the English translation. What, in verse 49, we see that I will put spirit within you. So what we are seeing here is the same manifestation of this two-stage two process, what was involved in the creation of man. Genesis 2.7, we read, Lord God formed the dust of man from the ground, and he breathed into the nostrils, and, and man became a living creature. Adam was physically complete, but he had no life in him until God, God's spirit entered into him. Holy Spirit is a second agent that brought about the life into these dead slains. God has given us the Holy Spirit to be with us, but often we undermine the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Holy Spirit worked in tandem with the word of God to make us alive in, alive in the salvation. This continues also in the, the same process continues in our daily walk with God. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is a helper in the moments of despair. Romans 8, which is talking about the life in the spirit, verse 26, Paul says that the spirit helps us in our weakness. We are to pray and intercede for the God, God, God's Holy Spirit to work in us and on our behalf. We must boldly pray that God's Holy Spirit to move in us. In moments of despair, hope comes from the awakening of the Holy Spirit. Then we will start to see an overflowing, abundant life in, our, in the midst of despair. Finally, the third agent we see is the faith in the sovereign will. Ezekiel was commanded to prophecy over these bones. Our common sense says, what difference will it make to speak to these dry, dead bones? How can these dead bones listen at all, right? We see Ezekiel's response in faith in verse 3. But here he's, he's expressing his faith by having a complete obedience of what God's word is saying. It's easy for us to trust and obey when everything goes smoothly. But it's the most, one of the most difficult things to do when we go through struggles and issues in our life. But that's when our faith is truly tested. Often we get dis disappointed and discouraged because our faith is conditioned by the worldly expectation and how the world should operate. And that, this will lead us to unrealistic expectation and misplaced faith. Before understanding what true faith is, I'll point out four things what true faith is not. Faith is not presumptuous. Ezekiel did not show overconfidence in believing that he know all the inner workings of uh, God, how he's going to work. Ezekiel did not presume that God is definitely going to bring life out of these dry bones. It's a vain myth and uh, dangerous to have such presumptions, which is not based on God's word. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed to us, it is for us and for our children forever. Charles Spurgeon once said, Lord, we'll be content to leave the secrets with thee. Only tell us what you want us to do. Secondly, faith is not demanding. Ezekiel did not think that he could twist God's hand and make something happen which is not there in the sovereign decree of God. It is not dictating things to God that to be done by God. Finally, thirdly, faith is not a blind speculation. Ezekiel trusted and put faith not based on a blind uh, speculation, hoping that some miracle might happen. Ezekiel is not trying to guess what God is going to do as well, but rather it's a response coming out of his true understanding of who God is and his intimate relationship with God. Finally, faith is not a false optimism. 
Fault of optimism says all is well. Pop psychology is telling us that to look inside ourselves, find our value, and build our inner strength. Optimism is not bad in itself, but the fundamental problem with false optimism is that it banks on self-reliance than on God himself. Then what is true faith? A genuine faith is a positive response in the midst of a difficult situation, which is coming out of sure foundation based on the understanding of God's character and his promises as revealed us through the scriptures, yet leaving everything to the sovereign will of God. This is the most important part of the faith, leaving everything to the sovereign will of God and allow him to do the way he wants and have complete peace over that. It means genuinely saying, not my will, but yours be done. We all know about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me illustrate this truth from their story. These God-fearing men refused to bow down before bow down and worship before the the statue which was made by Nebuchadnezzar the king, uh, and he, they were threatened to be thrown in the fiery furnace, fiery furnace, uh, which we read in Daniel chapter three. L- uh, listen to me carefully as I'm reading verse 17 of Daniel chapter three. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is to he is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. From where did they get this courage and audacity to stand against the emperor of that day? How did they know that God is going to save them at all? It was not a blind speculation. It was not presumptions either. Their expression of faith is coming from the knowledge of God and the trust on their promise they have received through Isaiah almost 120 years before them. Isaiah 40 to 66 are the words of encouragement given specifically to the uh, future exiles of uh, Babylon. First 39 chapters are for the Assyrian, cap- uh, primarily for Assyrian crisis. And verse four, uh, chapter 43 of, uh, and verse 2 says, second part, it reads like this. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. They were literally standing on this promise before the king, which they have received through Isaiah. Even when they are doing that, when they are living out their faith before the king, they are leaving it to the sovereign will of God. In the next verse, it reads, but even he does not, that is, even if God does not save them from the fury furnace, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God. Their faith is expressed in allowing the sovereignty of God to prevail. This is the kind of faith God expects from us. This theme is beautifully captured by the hymn writer Louisa Emma Stead in the hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." God's promises are not just ideas which are given in the Bible. It is as real as his existence. Let us learn to lean on these promises. God's, God's promise for revivals calls us to appropriate all these agents to come together in our hopelessness. Verse 11 to uh, 14a, we, we see God's outworking of the revival. God explains to the prophet what this vision means. God says these dry bones are the house of Israel. And it's, they say our bones are dried up. 
and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. We have earlier seen the characteristics of these bonds. They were exact representation of this, the house of Israel. They were humiliated in front of all the nations around them. They were rejected and abandoned, undergoing God's judgment. They were cut off from the presence of God. In fact, driven out from the presence because they, they lost their na- nation. When these visions came to Ezekiel around, probably around 580 BC, the exiles had lost all the hopes of returning to their land. The hopelessness is echoed in the popular communal lament, lament uh, of Psalms 137, which is probably written by Jeremiah during the exile time. The setting of this psalm resembles very much with the exile camp where uh, Ezekiel and his Jewish fellow people were. It starts by saying, uh, saying, by the rivers of Babylon. And in verse 4 it reads, how can we sing the Lord's song in the foreign land? But that's exactly what they were asked to do. They were supposed to sing God's praises in the midst of darkness. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, Jeremiah had sent a letter to the exile asking, to, asking them to seek the welfare of the city, build homes and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. This came just after the second deportation. Later in the letter, he encourages that after 70 years, God says, I will bring you back. And verse 11 of Chapter 29, most of us would know this verse. He says, it speaks of God's plan for the exile. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Ezekiel seems to have absorbed this message very well. Because he has built his house near the Kibar and lived in them. And there was no nothing which points other ways. But just few years into exile, roughly 18 years into exile, people have lost all their hope of, of God's promise which was given through Jeremiah almost a few years back. As a nation, they lost three cru- crucial things that led to such dissolution. First, they lost their inheritance, which was their promise that they were driven out of their beautiful land which was flowing with milk and honey. Secondly, they lost their identity. At that point in history, nobody could recognize Israel as a nation. Third, they lost their intimacy with God, Yahweh God, and they were driven out of from the presence of God. With the destruction of the temple, the pride of their eyes, they lost their final hope of returning to the city of Zion. At this very moment of hopelessness, God gives them a hope through promise of regeneration, revival, and restoration. In verse, verse says, I will open up the graves and bring you out of the dead state. In the, the subsequent verses, God promises regeneration by the Holy Spirit and the return to their promised land. God says in verse 12 and 13, O oh my people, this was a promise given through Hosea in Hosea chapter 2, verse 22, where it says, I will say to not my people, you are my people. People who became low on me, that is, not my people, due, due to the judgment of God on them, has become my people, that is, my, uh, that is Ami. That is God's covenant faithfulness to his people for restoring the relationship. Now, did God actually fulfill his promise and outwork the revival? Yes, of course he did. He did it in his time. When God caused them to return to their land in three iterations, 
it it was not that a simply a bunch of disgruntled people came and settled there in the land there were three crucial things again which was quintessential for their existence which was lost during their judgment god restore each of them <clears throat> first he restores their inheritance upon the uh, return of, to their promised land they enjoyed an outpouring of blessing which uh, outpouring of blessing on their land which the land which the land became dry and barren during the judgment time secondly god restored their identity the nations around them started recognizing them as threat and they started facing opposition and the rebirth of the nation took place finally there was a nationwide spiritual revival that caused them to rebuild the temple reinstate the ordinances in the law and have an intimate relationship with god like the nation of israel we could be faced with the situation that could be an attack on our identity probably it could be an isolation or betrayal from our friends or a loved ones having you know doing a hurtful behavior it could be an onslaught on our blessing god promised to us because of our sins we may be going through a spiritual downfall and feel like we have been cut off from the god presence dudley delfs is a christian counselor and, and author he tried to counsel a christian woman uh, for a month uh, for almost 8 months she was having a very tough childhood she had a child abuse she uh, after she got married she seemed it seems like husband was not loving her she had a demanding children she felt that she is going one of the, she felt she was the most hopeless person on earth every week she come back to this uh, this counselor and sit with him for many hours but you know nothing worked for her he tried to tell uh, tell about god and his ways point to god in different by giving different strategies every week but this continues and this vicious circle cycle come every week she will come and the story continues but after almost 8 months something miracle happened she again started off with this with her uh old ranting and things like that that's that's after a couple of minutes she posted and said i'm a better person today i'm bet much better than now how i was almost 8 months before you made me feel that god cares and he is interested in my life and over next couple of months god gave a mighty transformation in her and she could see the outworking of the revival in her hopeless state when dudley delfs himself was felt hopeless many times he wanted to give up on her but god didn't give up on her are you going through a state of hopelessness or discouragement are you struggling with a sin in your life that makes you feel that you are defeated do you feel that you are on a slippery slippery slope of black backsliding are we on a, are we in a spiritual valley yearning for a spiritual revival in your life these are real issues in, in our life even when we are the when we are child of god being a child of god doesn't make us immune to the real problems in our life nor does it diminish the pain we are going through whatever the crisis is a broken relationship disease injury loss of job conflict temptation enslavement for, to a sin rebellion of a child in god there is power to conquer charles l allen said i'm quoting him when you say uh, when you say a situation or a person is hopeless you are slamming the door in the face of face of god 
there are no hopeless situation for god but there are only people who grew hopeless about them god can give us a new life a new beginning a brand new start that will make us seem as if we have been resurrected from the dead god's power is available to us to quicken us from our hopelessness when we surrender our hopelessness to god there will be a glorious outcome from it but why does god involve in our hopelessness in verse 14b it says the god's purpose for the hopelessness the ultimate purpose of god doing this is then you shall know that i am the lord everything god is doing is underscored in two hebrew words yada yehova which means you or they shall know that i am the lord this phrase appears 52 times in the book of ezekiel it's more than any other books and three times in the the scripture we read today verse 6 verse 13 and verse 14 god does everything for his glory this meaning is further clarified in the previous chapter of um, previous chapter of ezekiel where it reads in 36 chapter 22 It is not for your sake O house of Israel I am about to act act but for the sake of my holy name It was not a mere chance that all bones came together into a living being It is it was only by the mighty outworking of God's sovereign will and power Ezekiel was just an instrument in in God's hand for bringing life into these dead bones In the same way God was going to providentially arrange historic event raise powerful men to lead the nation to restore them when god brings revival in the, in our life realize that it's for his glory and to make his name known we are becoming simply an instrument in god's god for god's work in our life god does not do to fulfill things to uh, to to our selfish desire the way we wanted to get out of the mess he will do does things only according to his character according to his sovereign decree in his time we are we need to be patient before god as god is doing his job psalms 46:10 we all know that verse be still and know that i am the lord but if you look at in the original uh, language this word is even more powerful it means to say that shut up before the lord and watch what i am doing does that literally mean I should not do anything when I am in despair. No, not at all. That's not what it means. Ezekiel has given us the right example for us how we need to respond to in the moments of despair. Like Ezekiel, we are to humble before God, exercise our faith, appropriate God's promises in our life, yield to the Holy Spirit to work in us, and finally rest in the sovereignty of God. God may bring mature believers, family, colleagues, neighbors or even a stranger to bring about a revival in us or bring us to uh, to back on track and give us a hope in fact we as a christians are ought to help our fellow brothers or sisters who is going through struggles by means of prayer by encouragement from the word and physical help wherever it's needed it's a great honor to be a great um, to be an instrument in god's hand but understand that we are not the hero god is the hero let it be for god's glory let it not for our glory by any means ultimately god brings his glory to fulfill and why is it important for us to know god's purpose when we are in hopelessness does it really matter as yes, it's important because knowing the fact that god accomplishes his purpose in 
accomplishes his purpose of bringing in him glory even in my hopelessness gives me a great confidence to completely trust in him that's the greatest confidence i have when i'm going through conf- my hopelessness because i know that he will bring glorious outcome i don't know how it's going to be but i'm just leaving to the lord in all of this what we are seeing is god's working and human responsibility coming together it's not in contradiction that these two stands this stands together one final illustration with that i will close cameron call is a youth pastor and director of youth ministries in alabama he speaks of his uh, he, he speaks of his hope in one of his worst personal tragedy in his book therefore i have hope twelve truth that comfort redeem and com- uh, sustain in the uh, redeemers in tragedy on one sunday in uh, 2013 his 3 uh, year old son lost his lego after recovering uh, his coveted toy cam said his son said thank you jesus thank you that conversation went on saying i want to see jesus can we go and drive and see jesus his uh, father and mother explained to him we will see jesus when we are in heaven and that conversation ended up saying jesus died on the crosses jesus died for my sin cameron and his wife was overjoyed to experience one of the most one of the dream dream of the every christian parent that is to see the prophesying of the his child's faith in christ that night cameron as part of his ministry went out to a short uh, night out with his students in little far off place he awoke uh, he awoke in monday on monday morning see three missed calls from his wife on fourth uh, call he he uh, he picked up the call and wife pleaded him to rush to the children's hospital nearby he asked him what is the matter and finally reluctantly he shared the news that his son died in the sleep as uh, she delivered this worst news this was one of the crushing moments for them lauren had found the perfectly healthy child dead next morning paramedics tried to resuscitate uh, to, uh, resuscitate him but it was all futile attempt in what remains a medical mystery the 3 year old child passed away in his sleep now he writes in his book here was that moment when my faith would crumble crumble when i would curse god resign from my ministry and pursue a life of bitter faithless man when lauren delivered this tragic news i said to her lauren Christ is risen from dead god is good this doesn't change that fact theology can seem he continues to say in this book theology can seem so dry and life at uh, lifeless at times but it becomes more than just information when it becomes the story of your life the sovereignty of god is not some debatable proposition it is assurance that your child's death is not a meaningful accident grace is not a not a simply word in a hymn it is a very thing you rely on when you are buried that you cannot imagine living another day faith is not a cliche cliche term for a religion it is it is the thing that picks you off from the carpet where you have been crying for an hour god's word will offer the most essential thing you will need in the in the face of your worst 
that is hope hope is what tells you that no matter how bad it seems redemption is possible what we are reminded today is god is the only true reliable source who can bring us through the storms of our life and give us hope when we realize the dire need for our revival humble us before the lord god's promise of revival begins in us we need to place our faith in the revealed will of god that's through the scripture and yield to the work of the holy spirit to work in us yet allow the sovereign will of god to prevail that's how we can find true joy and contentment in the midst of hopeless situation even though when god does these things let's understand the ultimate purpose is to make his name known and for his glory we have been talking about a life of hopelessness for a christian but anyone sitting here who is listening to this word who doesn't know this god let me invite you to put this faith and trust in the lord he can truly transform the life from the hopelessness to life of hope he is the only person who holds the key for tomorrow when life seems so uncertain ezekiel 36:26 says i will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you if holy spirit has convicted you please repent and confess your sins before before the lord he has completed work on the cross and he died on our behalf all we have spoken about the spiritual revival are placed to our spiritual rebirth as well let this be the day of your rebirth god is the only true source and ground for our hope whether we had a spiritual downfall or a physical adversity he can turn our hopelessness into revival just like he brought life out of this dry bones before we play pray and close can we all sing the song my hope is built on nothing less let this be our true prayer and desire Oh